Hallelujah. Father, the name of your son Jesus. This morning, we receive the revelation that is found in him. Our hearts are open, our ears are inclined to hear the truth that is found only in your son Jesus. Together, we behold him as he sees us in him. He is glorified and we are edified. Amen. Uh, this morning we want to look at the law of Moses. Uh, you know, we've been doing some studies, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, we have done Isaiah, we've done some of the Old Testament books. And um, just to extract something I said consistently in the series, uh, that sometimes you just need to, sometimes when you put too many things together, I don't know, not the word too many things, uh, many things together, in a teaching, uh, some things may go unnoticed. And so, uh, I want us to extract something we said consistently, we've been saying for years anyway, but to really explain it on his own. And that's why I'll call it the law of Moses. Look at Matthew's Gospel 28. Matthew's Gospel 28 and verse 18. This is the last uh, words of Jesus recorded by Matthew. And he said unto them, all authority is given to me. He just came and spake, saying all authority, that's the word power there, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He says, go therefore and teach all nations. Observe that word, teach. Baptizing them in the name of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Ghost. And then he says, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, sorry. And then 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Lord, and with you always uh, unto the end of the world. Now, notice the word teach. It comes twice. Um, the first one is mathetes, uh, which is in verse 19. It means mathetes in the Greek. Uh, like I say, don't let the word Greek freak you out. It's as good as saying the amplified version says. Right? It's just... Yeah, you know, to see it uh, in a more intentional way. And so, he says that the, the word make disciples or teach, the first one in verse 19 actually means to make disciples. It's actually the word to train. Uh, and so that, that goes into uh, more, a more comprehensive approach to people. Uh, so we're not supposed to go to people and just tell them about Jesus died, rose from from the dead for your sins. Bye bye. Put down your name. You are not born again. See you in heaven. You know, uh, we ought to come to a point where we see the work as actually bringing people up literally, like a student, like somebody who gets into primary one or grade one or first grade till the you know, till the very end. You know, he's been trained every day. You know, in the art of discipleship. That's what mathetes. It actually means to, uh, to enroll someone in a school. That's what it means, to enroll someone in a school. You see that phrase in Matthew 13, 52, uh, Matthew 27, 67. I suppose that's it. Uh, yep, 27, 57, sorry, and 13, 52. Uh, and also Acts um, 14, 21, uh, where the art of teaching people is called the art of training them. So, the very next one now says, teaching them to observe, uh, which is the word didasco. Didasco is from the word didache. It describes uh, a compound use of words. There's the word didascalia, which is doctrine. Uh, for example, when you say medicine, or you say uh, pharmacy, or you say law, or you say engineering, or you say uh, accountancy, that's doctrine. 
Okay, that's like uh, the, the, the body of what is learnt in there is called doctrine. Alright? And so, when you use such phrases, you mean a whole set of things together. Now, the mode of explanation is now what you call the didache. Okay? The mode of explanation. Then the explanation itself. Okay? The explanation itself is the, uh, the, the, that is the art of explaining itself. It's didasco, which implies to instruct, to inform, to command. You know, and then you have the final one, the teacher itself is the didaskalos. Didaskalos is used for teachers. Right? Then you have, so what is he teaching? He's teaching the doctrine. Okay, what's the doctrine? The explanation of Christ, the didache. Okay, then how does he do it? He does it by instructing. He doesn't suggest. He doesn't uh, just suggest. He's not, he's not giving you an advice. He's actually informing you, educating you, and teaching. We don't go to the university, for example, the Polytechnic, or College of Education, to get advised. We go there to get trained and instructed. And so that's the word doctrine. So he says, teaching them to observe, verse 20, whatsoever things I, and that's in, in, vital there, Whatever things I have commanded you, so we're going to look at that today. Whatever things I have have commanded you, lo, I'm with you always through the end of the age. Now, notice that he says to teach. The question should be, to teach what? Now, when you say to teach, that means to uh, instruct from somewhere and to explain from somewhere. Now, the question is, where did Jesus explain from? Beautiful. Jesus explained from the Old Testament books. Quickly look at Luke's Gospel 24, verse 25 to 27. Where he came upon his resurrection and said to them, that's his own disciples, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Then he says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. Now, uh, then he says, Begin at Moses in verse 27. And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke's Gospel 24. Luke's Gospel 24, I just, read, I just quoted verse 25 to 27. Then once again, when he came into the room with them, where he showed himself alive and showed himself and asked them to give him food and so on and so forth. In verse 44, he says, all these things must indeed be fulfilled, which I speak to you. While I was yet with you, alright, all the words that I spoke to you, the words, and that word was this word logos, which I was with you, which were written in the law of Moses. Now mark that out, because that's vital in in today's teaching. In the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Okay? So that means Jesus taught. And verse 45, he opened their understanding. Luke's Gospel 24, that they might understand the scripture. So, by large, it means that he taught from the Old Testament. So, if he taught from the Old Testament, and then he instructs them, alright, to teach. That means he instructed them to teach from where? The Old Testament. So, they are not supposed to teach from philosophy. They are not supposed to, do not forget that in the days of Jesus, they had the best philosophers of the time before him, Aristotle, Plato, they were all, you know, uh, Seneca, 
Kogosunika was, I think, afterwards. Um, you had all these great philosophers. You had art. You had music. You had all sorts of things uh, that were in existence. There was science. There was uh, a whole lot of things. But he never asked them to teach from those things. He just said, teach from the scriptures. And when we say the scriptures, we refer then to uh, Genesis to Malachi. So that was their responsibility. They were meant to teach from the uh, Old Testament. Okay? And they were meant to teach specific things from the Old Testament. Why? Because he gave them a mode of teaching. And so they had to follow that pattern. By the time you read Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says they continue steadfastly. Now, who continues steadfastly? Peter had just preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in that sermon, I, I want to believe this is going to be the first or second service that we're going to look at this. Okay, this service. Well, in the sermon, he quoted the book of Psalms almost exclusively. Now, I grew up thinking the book of Psalms are for bad moments or where you are having a bad period just get psalms and then sing it or you you want protection you know <laughs> i grew up uh, you know thinking you pick up the psalms and then you you begin to um i remember one day like that my, my dad and the family were driving from our hometown back to lagos and then the car had a fault and so he had to manage it uh to lagos and then he said uh I was reading the Psalms as I was driving. So in my head, as a child, I felt the Psalms are for where you have problems. Just read the Psalms. And where you have enemies as well. But notice that both Jesus and the apostles never used it for such things. They concentrated the use of Psalms on Jesus. That's interesting. And so Moses, I mean, uh, uh, Peter here, Talk to that fact. He, we're going to see it shortly. And then, by the time he was done, and those people that he spoke to on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 of them, about 3,000 of them, they believed what he said in verse 41. You know, and then they, they, they believed the word, they believed what he said. Then he said, they continued. Now, you don't use the word continue as a first line action. Continue will be there's a background. They continued is the word proskatero in the Greek is used for uh, when you birth a sheep and you put it where you make it remain where it is. Okay, so it's saying that Peter had explained Christ to them from the Old Testament. So as soon as they got saved, they did what? They continued to read the Old Testament that way. So they continued steadfastly, verse forty-two. All right, in the apostles did that change. Now, what's the Dutch again? Mode of explanation. Explanation of what? Business principles? Nation building? No. Explanation of Christ in the Old Testament. All good. So, they continue steadfastly. So, that's what he meant. When he says, go and make disciples. Making disciples is not uh, primarily, okay, um, uh, um, uh, you know, a disciple must not wear, uh, must not wear chain. No, no, no. The, making disciples, first of all, starts with the art of this person knowing to appreciate Christ's revelation from the Old Testament and from the entire scriptures. United States President Theodore Roosevelt made a very vital comment. He's Christian. He said, 
that the knowledge of the Bible, the knowledge of God's word, he said it supersedes any university education. Absolutely true. That knowledge in itself, to come to terms with the facts of the fatherhood of God, to come to terms with his plan and purpose for humanity, that in itself is a blessedness. You know, so he says, to now make such disciples. Now I want us to zero in on today's teaching because that's really where we're going. And then observe in Luke 25, 24, pardon me, verse 27. Look at it closely. It says, beginning at Moses. Beginning at Moses. That, that, that was someone he singled out. Then look at verse 44, which we're reading in the law of Moses. So Moses has two mentions within the same habit of work. That is, within the same time that he explained the scriptures to them, he brings out the personality of Moses. Of course, in verse 44, he mentions the Psalms of David, okay, uh, in the Psalms now, but he doesn't mention David. Moses is mentioned. Precisely. Now, because, you know, we need to look at, those are very vital details. And he uses a phrase, nomos mosios, which is uh, the law of Moses. Nomos mosios, N-O-M-O-S, then the word Moses. That is, this is Moses' law. Why does he start with Moses? Why does he start? Why do I emphasize on Moses? Now, pay good attention in here. Jesus mentions Moses, so let me put it like this, first and foremost. The name Moses is mentioned in the New Testament in this format. In uh, the four Gospels, it's mentioned 36 times. 36. 36 times, the name Moses is mentioned. Not just referenced, but mentioned. Now, in the book of Acts, the name Moses is mentioned 19 times. 19 times. And uh, in the epistles, 20 times. 20 times. In the epistles, 20 times. Now, let's... Um, oh, no. I think I mixed up a fact. I'll, I'll correct this later. It's something I mixed up right now. Now, in the book of John, which we want to look at, John will be our best bet. We know why. Because the very opening statement of John's gospel, if you read, in the beginning, that's Moses. Right? What's the word? So John opens, so John follows Christ's pattern of interpretation. I, I think John's been a, a little bit uh, wise. Uh, I hope I won't be crucified for that comment. But somehow, you know, every other person just writes eyewitness account and then their interpretation as well. But John begins an eyewitness account with an eminotic of the Old Testament. Because you would have read Genesis and say, this is the word. The word was with God. But Moses, I mean, John opens his own 
four gospels or his own gospel, a synoptic, by saying in the beginning. You know, we can say in Moses' writing. John 1 1. So, in the beginning, which is the word Achae. That's the same phrase, similar to Luke 24 25. Beginning at Moses. Achaomai Moses, or Achae Moses. Beginning at Moses. So, if you look at John 1 1 and Luke 24 27, you are having the same mode of interpretation. The word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. How without him was anything made that was made. In him was life. By the time you say in him was life, that is the tree of life. And the life was the light of men. So he, he takes together the first three chapters of Genesis. And he highlights them in three, or let's say four verses. The light shines in the darkness and darkness couldn't comprehend it. In verse 5, he goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. What a way to bring in Moses in interpretation. Obviously, that's how Jesus taught them. So, he therefore gives you a kind of commentary about Moses that you must pay attention to. And and that's why you see, um, when you find people who... um, I I, I don't have a problem with grace preachers. I, I, I love grace preachers. I love grace preaching. I preach grace. Grace is a component of the gospel. But sometimes, you know, and I've told you, a pastor must never be a specialist. A pastor must never be a specialist. A pastor must be able to teach from all the scriptures. And don't ignore any text. Don't ignore any verses. You must explain. You must have an explanation for a verse. And it's actually for most of the ones you read. And so most of the time, when they get to 17... They say, the law was given by Moses. Grace and truth. Almost implying that, you see, all that thing Moses read, wrote, forget about it. Jesus came to contradict him. Something like that. But he just used Moses in the beginning of the chapter. So there was no way he could have been in any way saying, Moses and Christ are at cross purposes. Who's understanding what I'm saying here? The very opening words of that chapter are from the writings of who? Moses. So, you need to read. And I suppose suppose that because people sometimes will be careless in the way they read. I've always told you, words have no meaning in themselves. They only have meanings where in the sentences where they are used. For example, if we have, um, uh, 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 let me give you an instance now. Many of us use one colloquial term that I don't like it, but when you say it, I understand. Oh, I called you at 4 p.m. What happened? My battery died. Use that, right? That's even it. Someone said, my phone died. Okay? It's good you didn't put the pronoun. I died. Say, my phone died. You know, the word die means, I won't see it again. But interestingly, you should bring out the same phone to call me. You get it? So, but when you say, it's, when you say, oh, okay, that means you've charged it. 
That makes sense. Because you are referring to a phone. But if you say, the man died, except he's raised from the dead by miracles, it means she will meet again at Jesus' feet. You see, so died can be used differently. We have a board meeting, and then I say, uh, uh, we have a board meeting, and I'm talking to the secretary of the chairman. The chairman wants to see you go to the chairman, and then the chairman says, before the board meeting, he says, what is on the table for me today? What do you have for me? Then the secretary responds. That's your cup of tea, sir. You know, it depends on what he's talking about. If he says, that's your cup of tea, sir, that means I prepared a cup of tea for you. But if he has nothing, he points to no cup, he points to no tea, and says, that's your cup of tea, sir. Well, I'll say, that's the HR. You know, go get another job. So it depends on what was said before it and after it. That's why you mustn't give a blanket meaning to any statement in the Bible or any word. I, I frown at people who study with concordances without thinking. Just pick up a concordance and look for where you have the word anointing, 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 until you see anointing of lepers. <laughs> anointing means power of the Holy Ghost. So you now read about the anointing of lepers. It has about twenty, about twenty-nine references. And thou shalt rub it, and thou shalt rub it. So you know, and thou shalt rub the power of the Holy Ghost, and thou shalt rub it. You know, it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, you have the anointing of all sorts of things in the Old Testament. So no, 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 no. No, that is a figure of speech. So you are giving yourself some sense. So you must not read words, just like the word woman. For example, the word woman has just one, I mean, it's the word zoon in the Greek, uh, and uh, G-U-N-E, which interestingly, the King James and many translations left it that way. They have left it that way. So, and this has been, been the reason why we have a lot of denominational challenges. Where, for example, women are not allowed to even do anything in the church. I was present at a convention of a denomination in Nigeria of a man that I respect. He's not around anymore. So I was at that convention because he asked me to be there. And this particular woman, who, interestingly, they sing our songs in that church. She's in, they call her Lady Evangelist. In that particular church, you can't call a woman a pastor. She can only be Lady Evangelist, and they cannot stay within the, what they call the altar of the old covenant of their church. So you stay outside the, the tabernacle or whatever they built. So at that particular convention, she was to sing. So she sang, and everybody, oh, everybody sang. So she now wanted to start sharing God's word, they just brought out the bell. Bagan, bagan. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know, just because she's tried to now share God's word, she's no longer singing. So they stopped her. They just stopped her right there. And I wonder what's going on. Ah, you know, she cannot. She's a lady evangelist. She cannot preach here. So I'm wondering, you just sang a song. <laughs> you get it? And so, and because that. That denomination, they are in thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions. But many things they believe are wrong. 
Because they will not listen to things like the Greek says. Do you get it? Where they get their beliefs from? 1 Corinthians 14, 34-35. Let the women be quiet in the churches. It is not permitted for them to speak. Why did they come? That means, if they enter the church, you say, good morning, sis. You know? Because it is not permitted for them to speak. If they praise the Lord, they go, because it is not permitted for them to speak. So why did they come? Yet, in the same book, in chapter 11, he said, if a woman prays or prophesies, where is she prophesying? Is it in the salon? Is it not in the church? In the same book, chapter 14, verse 26, when you all come together, and every one of you. However, when you read it, he says, if they have any questions, let them ask their husbands at home. Which means, he's not talking about women's conduct in the church meetings. He's talking to primarily wives. Because in the same book in chapter 7, Paul makes a distinction in verse 33 and 34 between the married and the unmarried. He says the married cares for the affairs of her husband. The unmarried cares for the affairs of the Lord. He said this is the distinction. So, but the thing is, the original Greek, until recently, has just one singular word for both married and unmarried women. So, what will determine who he's referring to will be the context. The moment you see submit and woman, that's wife. And your wife doesn't submit to someone else's husband. Your wife should submit to her husband. So that's the, the, the context. When I refer to Timothy 2, it's always within the marital institution. But now, look at the number of denominations that have deprived women their right in Christ. Because... I've always told you, when a scripture is misinterpreted, oftentimes a major truth is lost. So do not play down on proper explanation of scripture. See, anyone who hates education hates humanity. You mustn't hate education. You must love education. You must love to know. You must love to know. So, if you misinterpret that text, and look at how many things have been said within those scriptures. A woman cannot be this. A woman cannot be that. A woman cannot be that. I know a denomination that said that the only responsibility of the woman in the church is to teach younger women. And I confronted one of them who is a retired, uh, uh, retired provost of their colleges. I said, you say that the only responsibility of the aged woman is to teach the younger women, so quoting Titus, to, to respect their husbands, to take care of their children, to be good. And I said, hold on. You have an assumption that every woman must be married. Is that biblical? He said, no. So you can see your premise is wrong. Because it's only so 
If every woman won, I think every woman somewhere they sell clothes. Right? Okay. Every woman is married, won, and every woman is married at the same time. Do you understand? I said, so that premise is wrong. Because Paul wrote about women in Romans 16, a lot of them that were laborers in the gospel. He said, yes. Jesus had women he was discipling for ministry. One of them was Martha and Mary. Precisely Mary because she sat at his feet, meaning she's discipled by him. There was Mary Magdalene, whom he sent to go and preach. In John's Gospel 20, 17 and 18. There was a woman that he met at the well, who left the water pot to go and announce about Christ. So your, your submission is obviously wrong. There's Luke 2, where you had a woman, the Anna, the daughter of Finwell, who was a prophetess. We have plethora of people in the Old Testament. Even under Moses, we had his own sister, Miriam, who was a prophetess. So, so you're wrong. And the man said, well, it's going to be very tough. Yes. We need to be careful before we push those kind of narratives out. So, you must look at words within the context where they are used. There is no hurry in Bible study. Not a single one. So, when you hear law of Moses, don't have an opinionated view about that word. Just like every phrase of the Bible, you need to read, what is it referring to? Are we together here this morning? Very good. So, look at the book of Acts. Just something to reference, uh, basically. Oh, I got it now. So, I, I wanted to say, Moses was quoted in the New Testament 75 times, whereas David 50 times, about 50 times. About 50 times. And 8 times by Jesus. Whereas Moses is quoted by Jesus about 10 times or 8 times only in the book of John. So look at, I said, David was equally, the Psalms were quoted much. Let's see Acts of the Apostles, just for reference and uh, your further study. Acts 2. Notice on the day of Pentecost, the first person that Peter quoted was Joel. Why did he quote Joel? He quoted Joel because they just prophesied and spoke in tongues and Joel was immediate reference for that. I would have quoted Joel, but Peter did. At, uh, Acts 2, 16, 17, he had a resolution. And he knows better than I do anyway. So, um, he now begins from verse 25. David speaks concerning him. Verse 25, he quotes Psalm 16, verse 8. And then he quotes David. Alright? Look at verse, um, verse 33. Again, it quotes Psalm 110, in verse 34, verse 1. So he quotes David a whole lot. In, uh, in Acts 13, Paul equally quotes David. Acts 13. Acts 13. I'll read verse 33. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, Psalm 2. Then again, in verse 35, Thou shalt not suffer your holy one to see corruption. Verse 35. 
Verse 34, I'll give you the short message of David. He's quoting David a whole lot. Then he mentions Moses in verse 39. By him all that believe are justified from all things, which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now let me show you something that will contradict that, in case you think he's talking about one and the same thing. Acts 28. I didn't say contradict, that's different. Right. Acts 28. By the same speaker, Paul. I'm going to read verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him at his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of where? The law of Moses. Can you see that? How can you persuade them out of the law of Moses if there is no justification in the law of Moses? So, the question should be, what is he talking about? In one breath he says, they couldn't be uh, justified by the law of Moses. In other places he said, they could be. So the question should be, what is he referring to? So when you see law of Moses, understand what he's talking about within the context. Also, Moses is quoted by Peter, Acts 3, Acts 3, verse 22. Moses truly said unto the fathers, this is Peter, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, that you shall hear in all things whatsoever I shall say unto you. And, and of course, you discover that uh, Stephen, who preached in Acts 7, or basically from Acts 6, started quoting Moses. Stephen. He started quoting Moses from verse 20. Verse 20. He quoted Moses up to almost verse 43, 44. So Moses was a major author that was quoted in the sermon of Stephen. And just like we said, Paul also did the same. So Moses was well quoted when folks in the four Gospels of Israel, in the book of Acts, preached the Gospel. So, go back to Luke 24 again. Beginning, verse 27, at Moses and all the prophets, go to Acts, Luke 24, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word beginning there is the word ikomai from the word okay. It means two things. A starting point, then also for governance, a governing principle. So, that means the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, are not just historical. They are governing principles. They are vital. They are vital writings in the Old Testament books. They are the fundamental, foundational truths about Christ. The first five. And this are critical and very vital to the explanation of Christianity. They are not contradictory. So, if Jesus began his teaching from Moses in his law, now the word law is the word normal, it has two things. Number one, principle, writing, which is one and the same. Then also, principle and writing. 
And then you have the word commandments and all that. So it says here that Jesus began to teach from Moses. In verse 44, beginning again here, it says, which are written here in the law of Moses. So, therefore, the explanation of the gospel all right, finds its footing from where? Moses. Or the law of Moses. Why then does it appear that some writing seems to put the law of Moses at variance with the gospel? No, it's how we have read it. It doesn't. The first thing is, do not give a blanket definition to any statement. Always read words within the context that they are used. Are you following this? Come on guys, are you following this? Always do that. So, look at John 1 again. John 1. We said, in the Gospel of John, verse 1 to 4 and 5, Moses is referenced. That's Genesis. Precisely. And then he says in verse 17, For the law was given by Moses. Then he says, Grace and truth came by Jesus. Now, it's a, a bit of some technicality there. When he says the law was given, the word there is didomi, it means to make available, to be received. Then when it says grace and truth came, it's not the way you say came. It actually means to exist as. Now the question will be, is he talking about two different things? Not exactly. Um, because John here, we've seen that he's referencing Moses. John here, is still referring to the writings of Moses. Because the writings of Moses are where the, the, the word grace was first used in the entire Bible. Where he spoke about Noah. Noah found grace. And the word there is chen. Used for unconditional favor. It's used for help. It's used for payment of debts. Noah wasn't the one who said grace. It was Moses who put down the word grace. And so if you get Exodus 33, he says, again, in writing about that encounter I had about seeing God's face or not seeing God's face, he mentions grace. So what is John writing here? The law was given by Moses. Alright? And within the law of Moses... The grace of God that is within the writings of Moses is Jesus Christ. Let me see if you understand what I just said now. Come on, let me see if you understand. So, the law was given by Moses will involve many things. Alright? Which includes his writings, the commandments, the instructions, and so on and so forth. But it says within that book, grace which is the truth Exists as who? Jesus. Notice verse 18. For no man hath seen God 
at any time, verse 18, the only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared it. He gave these Moses' words. Moses was the one who said, I want to what? See your glory, see your face, your panim, Exodus 13, 18 and 19. And he says, no. So he's referencing that what Moses was referring to there is this Jesus. Let me see if you understand what I'm saying here. So, that means that 17 and 18 are quotes from who? Quotes from who? Moses. So Moses is not used as a contradiction of Christ. Now, we're going to see where the seeming contradiction must have come from. We're going to all look at it together. uh, Here in the second service. Now, so, verse 17 and 18 are not standalones. No, they aren't. They are within the same explanation of the gospel of Christ. Now, let's view something very fundamental. Go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. So, are we going to find the truth about Christ in the writings of Moses? Okay. So, look at Matthew 22. Remember, I taught you something called, what you can call an eminotic or a didache, or better still call it a, a summary of many statements. You know, we said, for example, when it says, he opened their understanding, Luke 24, 45, that they may understand the scripture. There's no particular verse in mind. And then verse 46. All these things must be fulfilled which were written in verse 46 or 44. And then you see verse 46. Thus it must be fulfilled. Where? There's no verse like that. Now when, you, when Paul says um, uh, how Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. According to the scriptures. There's no one verse like that. How he was buried and raised again the third day according to the scriptures. There is no single verse like that. That is, when you put all the scriptures together, this is what they say. There is no single verse. So, when you read that, that is the interpretation or call it the explanation. In Luke 24, 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? There is no verse like that. It is the explanation of all the scriptures. John seven thirty seven. Jesus cried on the last day of the feast. He that is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For as the scripture has said, verse 38, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There is no verse like that. So when he said the scriptures... Or, it is written, many times it's talking about the Old Testament put together. So, we're going to see an example now. Of the Old Testament put together. Or, the common denominator of all Old Testament verses. Now, in verse 35. Or, let me start from 34. Now, when... Okay, let me start from 33. And when the multitude heard... 
they were astonished at his doctrine. Verse 33. And when the multitude heard, they were astonished at his doctrine. Didache. What's Didache now? Huh? His mode of what? Now go quickly to verse 28. They asked him about the resurrection. Look at 29. Let's read 29 together. Jesus answered and said unto them, Matthew 22, let's go. You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Pay attention to something now. Did he mention any particular verse? Good. Not knowing all the scriptures put together. Nor the power of God. So, which means, everything he said afterwards was explaining all of the scriptures. So that means, the Old Testament has a singular mode of explanation. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, when he was done explaining the scriptures, now what you will see in verse 30 to 32, again is a summary of what he said. And then, the multitude were astonished at his mode of explaining what? Where? The Old Testament. And so when they heard, when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together, that he had shut them up with his mode of what? Explanation. They now sent one of them, interestingly a lawyer, and asked him to question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment? Now when you say the law, it has twofold meaning. One, the entire Old Testament books. There's just Malachi. But precisely the first five, why? Because the first five are foundational. So he says, what is the great? In other words, they were asking him for how he would interpret the message of the Old Testament. What is that great commandment of the law? Three words in there. Megas and Ptolemy, then he uses the word nomos. What is that great commandment in the law? Megas. Megas is used for uh, weight. It's used for, it's to describe how important something is. That is, if you look at the most vital thing in the Old Testament writings, what is that great commandment? Entolei or Ptolemy. That great instruction. That great thing that we must observe. In other words, have you read everything? Alright? They asked him. Then he answered them. He didn't say, come back tomorrow. He didn't say, uh, uh, let me think about it. You know, he just said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all thy soul and with all your mind. This is the first proton the first and great commandment. Proton is used for what you now build the others on. When you say prototokos, Christ is the firstborn amongst many brethren. That means all the brethren are just like him. When you say firstly apostles, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it means that all the functions you find in the ministry gifts were done by the apostles. Firstly apostles. So, firstly. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Proton 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I think that's what Zito Proton, uh, 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 Proton, that is, seek ye first. That is, this is what you should build all your pursuits on. So he says, the first and the great. Remember, they didn't use the word first. He used it. The first and the great commandment. He says, the second, Deuteros, is like unto it. Now, the word Deuteronomy is just like that, which is, this is built on the first things. That is, Deuteronomy is the explanation of the commandments. That is, whatever is the commandment, Deuteronomy explains it. So he says, the second is like the first. Deuteros, homomoitis, proton. That is, this resembles this. The reason for this, so the reason for the second is what? The first. So, what is the second? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hangs all the law and prophets. <laughs> that is from Genesis to where? Malachi. That this is the explanation of the entire Old Testament. You know, at that point, he didn't just silence them. He kept them out of the picture. And then he now threw a golden question at them. Because notice the two things. Thou shalt love the Lord your God. Then he now asked them a question. Um, the Christ, whose son is he? You know how to ask questions, right? Let me now ask you another one. The Christ, whose son is he? And then they, they, they were not prepared for that question, so it's, it's uh, uh, well, uh, lead pastor, answer now. Emoji. You are the senior emoji. Yes, emoji. So, whose son is he? David's son. Ah. ah. Why then does David, in the spirit, call him Lord? For David said in the Psalms, Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, which is one of the strangest texts of the Old Testament, where he says, Yahweh said to Yahweh. But some later translators now said, Yahweh said to Adonai, because they, could, they couldn't put Yahweh in the same breath. Because by saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, that already is humanity. That means something he wasn't before. Till I make their enemies a footstep. And by saying, sit on my right hand, they knew he was talking about the throne of David. So, that will be confusing to many. Meanwhile, David sits in his court as a king. Then he prophesies. He's right there on his throne. He's in his court. Then he says, God said to God, sit on my right hand. If you are a servant, you think his master drunk. Till I make all your enemies your push. And then when he said that, the Pharisees and Sadducees knew they knew nothing. You know, there are some things that they will explain to you and you admit to your heart, I don't know anything. And it's a good way to start. A good place to start is to be sincere. I don't, you know, sometimes you just say, how can it make me feel like I don't know anything? After 30 years of ministry, oh God, you don't know anything. Ah. Because you must, maybe, you know, you know if you are going to if you are going to America now, and then your plane, let's say you are going to Shokoto, and then your plane 
faces cross river. No matter how hard you fly, you will always get to the wrong place. You can say, but we have been flying for eight hours. How can we say, yeah, is it now wasted? You miss the, what do you call it now? You miss the direction. If you like fly for six days, if you like fly for one year, you went the wrong route. If you like being the ministry for 40 years, you don't know anything. What you ought to know, you didn't know it. That is why he said to his disciples, beware of their explanation. Their explanation is evil or wrong. So you, you could be in the ministry. It doesn't matter. You could even pastor crowds. These are people that they will greet them and they'll say, Man of God, sir. Well, it is well, sir. It is well, sir. Hallelujah, sir. Hallelujah, Joe. Bless you, sir. And then they didn't know anything. They didn't know who the Christ is. Ask me, what were they reading? When he said that to them, they made up their mind. They were asking questions again. They were going to kill him. Yep. Because there is a fundamental principle that cannot be disobeyed. So that great commandment. So by the time he says, who is that Lord? So, love the Lord your God, which is the proton entole. Don't forget that. That Lord is the person David prophesied about. And that person must die and be raised from the dead. This is what the entire Old Testament is built upon. Love the Christ. Correct? Is that correct? Love Jesus. Correct? Come on. With all your heart. Say, everything you read in the law and the prophet, it hangs on your love for Christ. And the love for Christ, he said, with all your heart, with your mind and your soul. If you like, drink as many bottles of oil. Go and put fire on the altar 20 times a day. He said, it is where? In your heart and in your soul. And all the ceremonies of the Old Testament, there was none that affected the heart. So, what gets to the heart? The drinks or the words? Words. So, he interprets the Old Testament for them. The Christ is the one that Moses spoke about. We just read, you know, uh, what uh, uh, Peter said. He said, David, I mean, Moses spoke about someone who will come after him. Whose words you will hear? Acts 3. So the question will be, what did Jesus, what is this command? What does it mean? Look at John 14. Don't forget that in the temptation of Jesus, you see how? You know, he was tempted three times. He was tempted firstly to turn the stone to bread. Then he was tempted to jump. 
Then he was tempted to desire the things and then follow by worshipping his appetite or worshipping the devil. The three texts that Jesus quoted were written by Paul. Ephesians 2. Did he quote Ephesians? What did he quote? Moses. Why would Jesus quote Moses? Because he knew the interpretation. He quoted precisely Deuteronomy. We're going to do Deuteronomy study either in July or June. Or maybe August. One of the three months. We're going to do it. Numbers is coming very soon. Alright. So, the three texts that he quoted, the three were from Deuteronomy. So, if Jesus could reference Moses in overcoming temptation, that means there's Christian living in Moses' words. Three. Deuteronomy 8.3 Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. Deuteronomy 6.13 and 6.16 All for the same purpose. So, what we have here will be if you read Moses' words wrongly you will misinterpret and misapply what he said. Jesus, obviously, understood it. As we have said many times, they were his words, because they were spoken ahead of time about him, and he used it well. So, look at John 14, which I asked you to open to earlier. Are you still there? John 14? Now, look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. You will have expected that you will see a series of things he said on Monday wear black top and brown trousers. On Tuesday, do this. I believe one of the commandments should have been don't support Chelsea. <laughs> Where were we again? John 14. Keep my commandment. What were the commandments? John 14.1 Let not your heart be what? You believe in God? Believe what? Are you following that? So what was the commandment? Believe. Verse 12 No. Verse 11 Let's take verse 11 together. Believe me that I am in the Father. Or else believe for the very... Verse 12. Well, and he that believes on me. So, verse 15. What was the commandment? Plural is oftentimes determined by the interpreters. By translators. What was the commandment? Believe. Believe in what? Believe in my resurrection and ascension. Is that the law and the prophets? Is that the law and the prophets? Is that the message of the law and the prophets? Yes. So, believe, not done, 
In John 15. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. That's your faith. Now look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you what? As what? So, can we say Jesus gave two commandments? What's the first one? Huh? When you believe, what are you doing? You love him. If you love me, no, let's put it together. Now, we said the commandment is to believe. That's the first one. Right? So, if you love me, keep my commandment. Put it in your own translation. If you love me, believe in what? My work for you, believe in my resurrection from the dead, believe in my ascension, right? Okay? And after you have believed, what is the commandment? Love one another. Is that the law and the prophets? So, those two statements interpret the Old Testament for you. So, just like he, he explains to them in Matthew 22, he says the same thing to his own disciples. Look at 1 John 3. Again, those two statements, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor. Who wrote it? Is it the law of Moses? Yes. First John 3. First John 3. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Don't create something out of this. Those things is commandments. Brethren, are you keeping this commandment? Look at your life. Mm-mm. Don't add your own version. He told you what he was talking about. Verse 23, let's go. And this is what? That we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. And what? Love one another as he gave us. You know, it's very simple. Look at the next statement, 24. And he that keeps his commandments dwell in him and he in him and thereby we know we are, he abides in us by the spirit that he has what? Amen. Is there anybody here who has kept that commandment? The first one. The proton one. The second one is now Christian living. Does it make sense? So, love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was saying in Matthew 5.44 Said in verse 3, you have heard it's been said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm getting tempted to teach something today, but it's not today. Say, but now I say to you, love your enemies. Alright? He says, do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. Yeah. Is he contradicting Moses? We just quoted Moses now. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at Luke 10. You see, the way you don't read your academic books in a hurry, the Bible must be handled meticulously. 
Don't rush. Don't rush. Just, just endeavor to read the entire contents. Look at Luke 10. So, the issue is the word neighbor. Neighbor, what if I live on an island? I mean, if you are rich, if you are rich enough materially, you can live on an island. I even have a scripture for it. If I have a scripture for it, should I give you a scripture? <laughs> you can live on an island. You alone. So who is your neighbor? Say, so, well, my neighbor are the fish of the sea. Uh, you know, the whales. <laughs> In Luke 10, In verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Lord, what shall I do in eternal life? What is written in the law? How readest thou? That what do you read? Say, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and thy neighbor as yourself. So, two things. So he said, you have answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. And he willing to justify himself saying to Jesus, who is my neighbor? That's the key word. Then Jesus gave them a parable. He said a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell down among thieves. I remember this parable well because I acted this drama. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> this drama in my uh, nursery school then Corona. We acted this drama. And I remember the part I played. I won't tell you. We stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. I told you parables are to be just the lesson. They don't say, hmm, hmm, half dead. Sometimes in your life, you are graduating outside the Bible. You know, sometimes uh, the thieves have come for your property. They have come for your joy. They have come for <laughs> you. know, sometimes when you hear this, you think that the person speaking is, is making a joke. Ah, it's not the same Bible we are reading. <laughs> But people cannot even know what the preacher is saying since the scriptures are put on the projector. And you didn't bring your Bible. You say, hmm, that's true. I, I, I follow. The thing resonates with me. I feel the preacher. I, I feel. We stripped him of his raiment. I wounded him and the father leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And that's serious sobbing. And likewise a Levite. When he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. And a certain Samaritan, interestingly, Samaritans are not Jews. The journey came there, he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. And gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, whosoever thou shalt spend more, that thou shalt spend more, when I come again I will repay thee. Which, now, which of these three thinks thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Then they said, He that showed mercy on him, go and do likewise. So he defined neighbor. The neighbor will be one who needs mercy. That is why in the Matthew 18 narrative, he says, if somebody offends you, go to him. If he doesn't hear you, so, so that you can win your brother. Not, as, not, not to win an argument. He said, take two or three. If he doesn't, offend, if he doesn't hear, tell it to the church. If he doesn't hear the church, now, take him like a sinner and a publican. 
Now the truth is that people have thought what it means is this. I also did. That it means that cast a person out. No. How did Jesus tell us to take sinners? You show mercy. So that's why the next, when he said that, the now said, Lord, how many times do I forgive? <laughs> he said, this is hard. Then he gave them the story of that uh, king who had servants that hold him money. They told him, he forgave the guy, and the guy went to those who hold him lesser amounts and was holding them to ransom. And he said, look, if you would not forgive those who offend you, your heavenly father will hold you responsible the same way that the king did. So who is the neighbor? Anyone that requires mercy. That's all. So at the end of the day, who is the person that requires mercy? Anyone who requires mercy and compassion. So he defines the neighbor for us. So here, love your neighbor. It's not do good to somebody who has done good to you. No. It's a wide principle. So he explains the use of neighbor. You know, all these explanations are the explanations of whose words? Moses' words. Moses' words do not contradict Christ. They only require explanation. Look at John 5. Are you learning something? John 5. And verse 45. This is actually the very... This, this is the text of this teaching. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Okay? It says there is one that accuses you, even Moses whom you trust. Now you can pick that statement and say, Moses, because he uses the word categorio, which means to bring a charge. There is one who accuses you, even Moses whom you trust. It means to bring a charge. Interestingly, that's the same word used in Revelation 12, 11, uh, who accuses us before the Father daily. But we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies, love not our lives to death. Now, why would he use the word categorio for Moses? Again, don't lift it out of context. Don't. He says, think not that I'm come to accuse you. Now, listen carefully to the background of that statement. Verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they who testify of me. Now, it says, you will not come to me that you may have life. That's the background statement. At least the pretext. It says, you search the scriptures. Now, when we say search the scriptures, beginning at where? Okay. So, it says, they are there will testify of me. So, when he says, look, you guys have rejected me. You guys have not come to me. You have chosen not to believe me. Don't think I've come to accuse you before the father. There is he that I kissed you before the Father, Moses whom you trust. Now, did Moses write about Jesus? So, what would that accusation be? What were they doing? They did not believe in him. Unbelief. Good. Pay attention. So, if Moses brought a charge about these people, 
That is a charge against what? Are you following? It's not a contradiction, no. Moses, whom you trust. So, the issue is, Moses spoke about Christ, and Moses spoke about rejecting... Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Moses spoke about who? Did he also spoke about those who rejected Christ? Huh? He did. He said, Moses already has brought an accusation against you. Against what again? Unbelief. Is it making sense? Now, look at the next statement. 46. For had you believed Moses, that means they did not what? You will have believed, for he wrote, you will have believed me, for he wrote of me. So, those who did not believe in what Moses said, Moses accused them. He brought charges against them. Now, what did Moses preach about? Huh? What did Moses condemn about? Unbelief in who? Who's following what we're saying here? Uh-huh. So, is it contradicting? No. So, there is one who accuses you already. Moses in whom you trust. Have you believed in Moses? So, Jesus' audience, did they believe Moses? Huh? Very good. Did Moses bring a charge against them? Yes. Look at the next statement. If you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? So, in the writings of Moses, we are going to find two things. One, the grace of God, which involves faith in Christ. We are also going to find what? Condemnation of what? Unbelief. Now, when you go out to preach, what did Jesus say? Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized, what? He that believes not shall be what? Condemned. Is that the law of Moses? Is that also the law of Moses? Yes. Look at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but has everlasting life. He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation. The light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. So did Jesus condemn unbelief? Huh? So when Moses was condemning unbelief, whose words was he speaking about? Let me see how you understand that. So, what we have in Moses' writings will be two audiences. Those who believed and those who did not believe. So, the law of Moses will deal with those two sets of people. Those who believed and those who did not believe. Look at Matthew 19 quickly. Are you learning something? 
Again, these Pharisees people, thank God for them, they came to him tempting him. And he said, Is it lawful, verse 3, for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That's what they came to him for. And he answered and said unto them, Have, have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, there are no more twin, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man or let none put asunder. They said unto him, Why did Moses then give command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? So they are saying, uh, Moses wrote something. Okay, sorry, they, they are saying, Can a man put away his wife? He says, Well, in Genesis, before Moses gave the law that you are referring to, this is what the word of God was. Don't forget, the children of Israel were brought up with this, with Genesis. With the promises of God and what they call the oracles of God in Genesis. We've done that study before. Now he says, This is what was done at the beginning. Don't forget the word beginning, no. Okay. That means, who wrote that beginning? Moses. Good. Now, that means they seem to be speaking about two different writings of the same person. Are you following what I'm saying here? Aha. So, oh, Moses contradicted himself. It's not. Jesus gave us a clear interpretation of what happened. He says unto them in verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So, Moses will have two things in his writings. One, God's word. Two, unbelief. Moses, because. Now, in the Greek, that word is a straightforward straight phrase. Pros, that is, pros, pros is to view. Because. That word because is pros. To have a view. Pros, okay? Pros 10. Then it says, sclerocardian. Sclerocardian means a heart that is not receptive. Sclero means hard, difficult. A word used for unbelief. Mark 16, 14, for example. Because you have refused to be persuaded. Now, persuaded of God's word. Pros stand sclerocardian. Imon. That is you. Hardness of your heart suffered you. Entrepsen. It means allowed. Or gave the room. Now the question is, and this we are going to solve in the second service. What Moses wrote that they should do? Is it a new instruction? Or what was on their heart? Huh? So, Moses will write what is in the heart of God and what is in the heart of man. This is very fundamental. What is in the heart of God is found in Christ 
And it's also the law of Moses. What is in the heart of man is not found in Christ. It's also the law of Moses. So Moses, did Moses write what they did not want to do? Or he wrote what they wanted to do? Let me, let me, are you following what I'm saying here? Did Moses tell them to do it? Or Moses wrote what they wanted to do? Who's following what I'm saying here? Exactly. That is how to understand the law of Moses. He said at the beginning. Now, who wrote the two things? Moses. So, within the law of Moses, we will have the law of God. I will have the law of man. The law of God. What is the law of God? Love the Lord your God. And with the Lord your God, the Christ. And love your neighbor. The second is like unto the first. Let me start to close from here. So, in the law of Moses, the audience is important. Who is the audience of this statement? Who? The audience of the statement of that divorce statement, that audience are those who did not believe. So, when Moses writes that, he's accusing them. He's laying a charge. Moses, seeing the hardness of your heart, wrote about that. So, Moses did not invent it. Moses wrote what was in their hearts. Let me show you what I'm saying here. Romans 5. Put your hands in Romans 5, 12 and go to Romans 8, 2. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at Romans 8, 2. Let me start from 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk more of the flesh but of the spirit? Let's take two together. For the law of the spirit of life, where? Has made me free from where? The law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak where? Notice that. It was weak through where? So the law of sin and death is found where? Now, is the flesh the body? Or the flesh referring to the body of sin. The body of sin. Now, look at Romans 5. That's sin and death. Romans 5.12. Let's take it together. Wherefore, as by one man, what happened? And death by sin. So death passed upon all, for that all... Are you learning something? Are you learning something? So... The law of sin and death. Is it God made or man made? Why? Because by one man. Sin entered into the world. And death by sin. So. The man made law of sin and death. Will be found in the law of Moses. As we are going to see in the second service. The law of the spirit of life. 
is also found in the law of Moses. So when you hear law of Moses, you say, which one? Hallelujah. <laughs> is it man-made? <laughs> or the law of God? You blessed? Are you blessed? Amen. Praise the Lord. Stand to our feet. Bless the Lord.